Today is Wednesday, November 24th. The title for our devotional is Story of Reconstruction, Proposition for Person. This week, we're beginning with a reading of scripture, and then we'll launch into a pre-recorded interview to hear someone's story on the topic. Today, our topic is Proposition for Person, or the longer title, Smug Certainty for Humble Truth-Seeking. We see this difference quite clearly revealed in the, this account from John chapter 9. The Pharisees take the smug certainty approach, whereas the formerly blind man in this story takes the humble approach of seeking truth. The blind man comes to know Jesus. The Pharisees miss him completely. So let's read, beginning in John 9, verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened? They asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can now, uh, how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders, who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he came, where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? 
and they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What? Are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. For additional content, uh, we have a recorded interview. And today we're hearing the story of Nicole and Aaron Zorn and their story of being in ministry, maintaining a great perspective of caring for and loving people and still holding to truth. Hey everyone, I am here with Nicole and Aaron Zorn today and we are going to be talking, um, tying into what we've been talking about in church in our in our Reconstruct series. Today we are talking about um, their stories a little bit and we're going to just hear from them as people who who have been in ministry in their lives in, in a lot of different ways. And I'm going to let them talk about that. Hey, guys. Hi. Thanks Good for job. being here. Thank you for having us. So tell us a little bit about yourselves, how you're involved in ministry right now, how you're connected to ministry, and then maybe a little bit about practically what it looks like um, for you guys to live out your faith um, through those lenses. I'm Nicole, and I am the director of Safe Families for Children, which is ministry that works with families who are struggling to support and help stabilize them so they can stay together. We've been doing that for about seven and a half years, and we actively take kids into our home and parents into our home. We've got seven kids of our own. Um, we're a blended family, so when we got married, we had four daughters and added two boys and a girl. Sometime after that, mm-hmm. um, so we've we've usually got a pretty full household, which has a lot to do with the thoughts and the and the frameworks that I probably bring to the table today. Mm-hmm. Just living in a context full of uh, differences. Mm. I'm Aaron Zorn, happily married to Nicole. <laughs> we've been married twelve and a half years, and. Uh, Currently, I am uh, one of the pastors at Grace Church in Walworth, Wisconsin. It's been our home church for for quite a while, Um, and I was a middle school math teacher for about 17 years, and then had the opportunity to start working at the church along with that, uh, be in a seminary program, a three-year seminary program that uh, wraps up next May. But as, as Nicole said, we have, how many years has it been, Safe Families? Seven years for Safe Families okay. and eight years taking mm-hmm. people into our home. Yeah, so eight, eight years and um, we've had a lot of different people into our house and, and have had a lot of opportunities to have our faith uh, shaped and strengthened around that. And so it's been it's been quite a quite a journey for us, and we've learned that we maybe, after all of this, don't know as much as we thought we did even back then. Living out our our faith has been a has been an experiential thing. There's, it's also been more time to really dig into the Bible and 
and we don't really see the the Bible saying you need to you know get your get your family and cloister them and uh, keep them out of the world and protect mm. them. And so um, we've um, kind of just tried to live that out, and and sometimes it goes better than than other <laughs> times. And and God has blessed us with some amazing opportunities. So. Hmm. I mean, there's so much there that I want to get into already, but I, I want to start by giving you guys both a chance to share a little bit about your upbringing with faith, what you've experienced and help draw a line from from that to where you guys are today. Because I think you both at least grew up in church to some degree, right? I grew up in a non-denominational evangelical world. Sure. Sunday evening and Sunday morning and Wednesday evening church. Sure. A little bit of Christian school, a little bit of homeschool. Had a lot of knowledge of the Bible and, but also grew up during the like Dr. Dobson era, the focus on the right. family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up in the early eighties and my mom, that was like her radio program she listened to. Right. <laughs> and well, it was, lot, e- it was everybody's. It, it was, was like, it was the radio program. <laughs> yeah, right. 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 And, it, and it was all about like, you know, keep your kids safe from the world and right. um, here's how you train them up and, So we had an interesting mix in our home, though, because there was some of that. Like my mom tried homeschooling us and Mm -hmm. uh, put us in Christian school when they could afford to do that. And Mm -hmm. um, but my parents also brought people into our home. And certainly that impacted probably the ease in which I've been able to welcome people into my home to some extent that like that was just normal growing up. I don't know. I just I guess I knew the rules and what we were supposed to do and not do. And mm-hmm. probably like most kids that grew up in the church, um, I think I was always had a bend towards compassion. Probably that was a gift God mm-hmm. placed in me. But but for the most part, I was just trying to follow the rules and be a good kid until I turned 17. It's interesting. I don't think I was I was taught this, and I grew up in a in in the church and Christian school. And sometimes when you're well, when you're an adult, looking back on it as a, as you know your your youth and your childhood and what you heard, I'm not even always sure. Probably what's more prevalent is what I went away with. And I think mm-hmm. as I've thought about this before, it was it was um, kind of almost defensive in a sense of just like as long as I you know, do what's right. I don't, uh, I don't drink or smoke or whatever, swear. Um, those are, that's a big one. That's a big <laughs> thank one. you. I almost forgot that one. Yeah. Uh, but if I don't do those things and as long as I'm not mean to people, I don't harm people that I'm doing pretty well. And I think that was something that was, that was challenged. I mean, some of that's just challenged by continuing to be in church for most of my time, continuing to be in, in God's word more so in some seasons than others. Um, but I think there was this, this switch of just like, I think God wants us to take an offensive approach of, and I don't mean to be too theological with it, but as Christians today, we're not under the, the law of Moses, but we are under the law of Christ. And really that comes down to a law of love and loving our neighbor as ourself and all of all of the commandments that we are still expected to to keep as as Paul writes about really are summed up in this idea of loving people and so there's there's this intentionality that I think God wants from us and 
um, love your neighbor as yourself or do, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And there's, I think there's this place where I, as an introvert, it's just like, well, I kind of just want my neighbors to leave me alone. But I think you got to kind of stretch yourself a little bit and say, well, what if I was somebody who um, my life was void of any meaningful relationships? What would I want my neighbors to do then? What if mm. I was somebody who's void of like life's basic necessities? What would I want from my neighbors in, in that situation? And, and the interesting thing is that so much of that, it came from being in God's word, but it also came from those experiences of, of actually surrounding ourselves with a lot of people who were different than us. A lot of people who actually had needs that I had never experienced growing up. My family wasn't like super wealthy or anything, but we had plenty to eat. Yeah. We had, uh, I, we had a bigger, you know, big enough family and, and lo- I've always had lots of friends and, uh, people in my life. And, and so I've always kind of had those things and probably take them for granted. Um, but being exposed to people who don't necessarily, it's just like, oh, wait, I think now I'm starting to connect some of the dots of like when Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, there's some action that needs to take place. Mm. And so I think a big shift for me is, is about understanding the gospel as more than just where do I go when I die? That's part of the gospel. It's a really important part of the gospel. But there's more to it than that. And when Jesus was on earth, what he talked about is the good news was more than that. And I think uh, when it comes to compassion ministry, when it comes to serving people, when it comes to those things, I think a lot of people in churches like ours, sometimes they think about that through that through that incomplete gospel lens of just, if I don't do this, because I would prefer not to, do I still get to go to heaven? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. We think of Christianity sometimes as we have to believe the right things. And certainly Christianity is rooted in doctrine and doctrine is important but there's such a huge component of it where it's actually doing things and actually mm-hmm. and not not doing things to to earn our salvation that's not how it works but as as a result of what what Christ has done for us that oh we got to respond to this and we get to respond to it not and of course it's not always easy um, but but it's also a joy when you're in the middle of, of serving people, when you're in the middle of compassionately loving people in different ways, even when it doesn't always go like you like you want it to go, or people don't respond the way you hope that they respond. Mm-hmm. And and that's and you're talking about the gospels, and you think about the way that Jesus did his ministry. Certainly, was a ministry rooted in in word and truth, but it was <laughs> very much rooted in, in deed. Yeah, and the people that Jesus surrounded himself with, and it's just like, oh yeah, I think I think it's got to be more than just what we believe. It's also about what we what we do, what we're doing with our life, what we're doing with our resources, the gifts that we have, everything that God has given to us. What are we doing with those? So yeah. So I wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about maybe some experiences that you've gone through that that you feel like have humbled you or have just have grown you, shifted your thinking um, in terms of what it means to be a follower of Jesus or what it means to live out God's will for your life. How has spending time in proximity with people who maybe aren't church people or maybe don't share your beliefs. How have those experiences uh, humbled you or shifted your thinking in terms of your faith? I think anytime you make yourself vulnerable in relationship with another person, um, it is humbling. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, when I think about all of the the frustrations over the years of, of having people in our home, and we have this sense of, like, if it's going to be worth our time, mm-hmm. we need to see some kind of outcome. Like, I did all of this, and, oh, look, now they're a Christian, and they have their MBA or something. And, right. And, and so there's this frustration when we don't see that and there's this need to kind of fix it. And all of that really comes out of probably a lack of awareness of our own need for grace every single day to some extent. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, I, this is different out from our serving ministry in terms of safe families. But, um, the first few years Aaron and I were married, I mentioned we're a blended family and, um, he has twin daughters and I had two daughters and, um, I thought the girls had a lot of issues when we got married, mm-hmm. which they probably did. Their mom passed away when they were young and, mm-hmm. um, but I did not treat them well in the, in the early years of our marriage. And I, we start. I started seeing a, a counselor mm-hmm. and I would talk to her and I was like, you know, if these kids weren't in my life, like everything would be fine. Like, mm. I love my husband. Mm-hmm. Everything would be okay. It's just, they're awful. I don't know how to deal with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she pointed something out to me that is, um, has been kind of central to, I think the, the gospel theme, uh, is she said, Nicole, that, that darkness in your heart, that, um, lack of love for two little children, mm. um, your bad behavior towards them, like all of those things were in you. So whether or not right. you had a relationship with those two girls, those things were in you. So she actually encouraged me to like, thank God for exposing mm-hmm. the dark parts. And and growing up in the church my whole life, that was not like a context I had. I was just like, I'm pretty good. I didn't drink and smoke. And, well, I did, but <laughs> I, if I wouldn't have drank and smoked, and you stored, been I would have been like, yeah, it was yeah. fine. But so to have somebody point out that like even the hidden things in your heart, they they often come to light in the context of relationship with someone else. Right. right? So early on in our marriage, that part of me got exposed and it was very humbling. Mm. Um, In fact, I felt like I had a lot more theology than Aaron and a lot more um, compassion and just in general was a better person. I still think that. But sure. (laughs) No comment. (laughs) But so to have that like weird little exposure to like, oh, there's some like dark, shitty things in my own heart that like I, I've got to deal with this before God. And and I think from that like point in therapy for me till now, like I see it over and over again Mm -hmm. of just every time God brings someone into my life that doesn't um, fit my idea of how they should behave for Mm -hmm. example I find myself I can easily become impatient or um unloving or Mm -hmm. you know like when you think about the fruits of the spirit like I'm like dang I still lack all of those yeah (laughs) and it and it usually comes um that exposure usually comes through relationship with someone who doesn't do and say and act the way I want and need them to do and say and act. And it's generally getting in the way of something that's my own happiness or my own. Right. Um, so there's a lot of humility to answer that question. Yeah. Like I feel like there is a almost daily need, not almost, there is a daily need for repentance on mm. my end, mm-hmm. which is, which is a flip, right? You think you're helping. I'm going to help yeah. this person. They struggle with this and I'm yeah. going to welcome them in. I'm going to do these things for them. And, 
And I think Christ just kind of flips that around on us. And he's like, no, actually, like, I'm still working on you. Yeah. And you're still an idiot. And and that's only exposed through those relationships. What ends up happening often is, is as we, I think, sincerely try to be loving and compassionate, but in that close proximity, especially when you have people who are living in your basement and mm. not always doing everything you want them to do. There's so many things that happen in, in those situations of people living with you where, where I see myself growing impatient or I see that I am frustrated. And, and you know, Nicole and I will, will share our frustrations with each other, and sometimes that's probably okay, um, you know, just being able to listen to one another. But, mm-hmm. but sometimes it, it gets, it gets extreme where we're just like one or both of us is just so frustrated with this person because they're not following the house rules or, or we've put a lot of energy into them and they still don't have a job mm-hmm. or they, they still don't have their life in order. And there's, yes, there's a point where, yes, we're trying to work with those people for sure. But there's there's a lot of ugliness in in ourselves that is exposed, and I think maybe when people start doing a, a maybe a ministry like Safe Families volunteering that that they probably have that same experience. Um, but rather than hearing about it, once in a while you have people who are just like I'm. I'm, I quit. I don't want to do this. Right. And maybe it's because they experienced a little bit of that and they saw some of that ugliness in themselves and, and maybe they just weren't ready to deal with that. Maybe God has a different plan for them. Um, but, but what we, I think tend to do is we tend to then funnel that into like blaming these people. It's just like, well, they, it's because they didn't get their life together. But at the same time, there's a part of us where when we're really honest with ourselves, we see that, oh, I'm not as loving. I'm not as kind. I'm not as patient. I'm not as compassionate. Like Nicole said, of just like when we're functioning the best in this, it's not necessarily that we're getting the best results, but probably we are regularly repenting ourselves because we didn't love the way that that Christ has loved us. Yeah, I think all the the times I've had opportunities to grow out of situations where I was feeling, let's say, taken advantage of, for instance, and the the visceral reaction that happens when you feel taken advantage of, those are opportunities to step back and say, Lord, what's happening? Why am I so upset by this thing? That What the person who's living in my basement did isn't that surprising. I knew, you know, I knew this was a possibility, but in like right now it feels so personal. Why does it feel so personal? And you can uncover a lot of insecurities that you have, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can uncover ugliness in your own heart. Not that self-awareness is everything, obviously, but it helps, you know? I joke all the time in church, people don't know what the application of a sermon was. That They say like, well, there's a lot of scripture there, but where was the application? And it's like, well, a little more self-awareness and the application would be very obvious because I can see it, right? Um, I can see it for me and I can see it for you, you know? No, I'm kidding. But um, Sky Jitani, who's an author I like a lot, one of my favorite quotes of his is just that uh, self-awareness is a prerequisite to discipleship. So you can't apply God's word to your life if you don't know your life, essentially. And um, there's so many opportunities to grow when instead of saying, I'm mad at this person because they did this. You actually, you ask questions about yourself and say, let's start with me. Why, why am I so upset by this? I think the best way to gain self-awareness is to be in relationship with others. 
it is the fastest, easiest way. Um, I mean, the, the example I gave with the twins living with them, that's a very dramatic example. But, but I think in any context, when you live with others, when you surround yourself with others who don't think and act and behave the same way as you do or want them to, it is the quickest way to gain self-awareness and to uh, figure out what it is, what's going on in your own heart. Um, yeah, I think some of my sweetest moments with my own kids was when I was apologizing to them, yeah. right? There's something about that vulnerability mm-hmm. that can, it can, I almost am, I'm thankful for those moments because it's an opportunity to model, you know, um, to model the gospel to them, to model love to them, to model something that is so, it's so valuable and so important. And you want them to learn that, you want them to have that. Mm-hmm. And as a parent, there's no better way to do that than to just be vulnerable yourself and do it. This one's a little more simple, and it's a it's a short, simple question. But what have these experiences made you less certain of, and more certain of? Well, I would say less certain of the fact that I am always right, that <laughs> I always know best. Less certain that my motives are always in tune with with God's will for my life. And um, yeah, do you want to? I think the tendency we all have, at least I have it, is to think the way that, and this goes along with always being right. The the way that I live, the way that I parent, the culture I come from somehow has like a corner on the market or even my particular yeah. brand of theology or doctrine, like I'm reformed or I'm this. Yeah. Or, that is the tendency to always be in that space. And I think what I'm learning is like the, the grandma that I'm working with that lives in a trailer park um, and has a very, very different lifestyle than I do. And she's raising her grandkids. And I've now met her grandkids, her daughter, herself, and her mother, uh, right. And, and it's, and I get so frustrated with her still, like all these years sure. into doing this and into this relationship, even and I'm like, when I, when I recognize like, it's because she, her culture doesn't match my culture. Right. And, and then I have to take it back to scripture and I'm like, well, what about, what is it that I'm doing that is like scripturally more appropriate or accurate than how she's right. doing it? Like she's loving her grandkids. She's keeping a roof over the house, you know, right. like all the things, but but like, and so the things I'm frustrated in aren't even biblical. Like I'm, right. I'm angry at a cultural thing, not even. <laughs> so, right. so I think that's probably, I don't remember what your question was, but it's along the no, lines yeah, of that's like, great. what am I learning? It's, it's that, it's that uh, there's so much that we add to scripture probably because of the cultural context in which we grew up in the church mm-hmm. and understand scripture and even like an American nationalism of like a what's right like we're a hard-working sure individualistic do this do that and and so I think I think being able to like sort of trim those things away from the gospel over time yeah and say like is that actually what is expected of this person that I'm ministering to or did I add that to the scripture based on my right cultural experience so I don't I'm rambling no that's really good yeah yeah the other part was what we're more certain of is that yeah yeah I think more certain of of God's faithfulness in our lives. I think I think Nicole and I have had a few times where we've been able to take a t- step back or catch our breath of of just the that realization of like wow God is actually really using us in the lives of other people despite the fact that we're actually not very good at this and despite the fact that we don't have everything together and that, yeah, we, we, we can be still have these moments of judgmentalism or moments of looking down on people because they don't have, they don't believe things exactly the same way that we do. And, and yet, 
and yet, and again, in those best moments to say, wow, God is still faithful in that he is using us in that. And so in some of our weaknesses, that's where, where God is, is strong. But yeah, I think we're, I think maybe more thankful to God because of, of just the opportunities that we have had. And a lot of those have come about through like recognizing some of our own, our own shortcomings, our own inadequacies, our own sinfulness and being like, wow. God is still using us mm. in that. My last question I wanted to hit was, um, what, did, what does it look like for you to feel grounded in truth while also maintaining some humility about what you don't fully understand? Because there's, I think there's times for all of us where the ground can feel a little bit shaky, right? And then there's times when it, it feels really rock solid and there, you know, there's moments in between. But what does it look like for you to feel grounded in truth while also maintaining some humility about what you don't fully understand? I think... The hardest thing for me is how do you maintain an openness to all people Mm -hmm. um, and not necessarily affirm them in their sin? Um, And I think that's a really challenging space uh, to operate in. And especially when you are, well, not especially, I mean, within and without the church, those relationships, Mm -hmm. you're always in that tension, right? Of like, how do I, how do I love this person without judgment and not affirm them in their brokenness because what they need to do is move away from that. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a really tricky thing. I think the thing that, um, that I generally land on is to, is to just have compassion and to be welcoming. Mm. Um, and I don't know, I don't know. I guess I don't feel the need anymore to to correct people, so to speak. Like, yeah. I don't need to tell you what's wrong with you. Likely you know what's wrong with you. Right. Uh, you might even know what's wrong with me. You <laughs> might even know what's wrong with me. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so, like, it's, I mean, Christ calls us to love, um, and and he alone lived the sinless, perfect life that had the power to save Mm-hmm. which is also the power to fix. Right. Right. And so I think where I've become more comfortable is like, I don't have the authority mm. to save you. I don't have the authority to fix you. Um, what I have been given authority to do is to love you. And mm. and that's not some like shammy, like, oh, we just love everybody and hopefully they're fine. Right, right. We're all going to go to heaven someday anyways. Right. It's not that. It's just It's just saying like, I'm not, I don't need to sit here and tell you all, all of the things that are wrong with you. I can affirm that you are created in the image of God um, and that I'm called to love you and I do love you. Mm-hmm. And, and my hope is that um, as I walk with you in relationship, as I bear burdens with you, as you bear burdens with me, uh, and as I pray for you, that, that Christ is going to do that saving and fixing and and even beyond saving the sanctification, right? Of mm-hmm. like, you're in this space that feels great to me in my theology or whatever. Sure, sure. But like, th- not my problem. Like, right, right. <laughs> God's gotta, God's gotta convict you of that, and y- and you have to understand what it is He's calling you to. So I don't know. Yeah, that's okay. And again, so much of that just happens. Not naturally, but but a door is open for that to happen when we actually allow ourselves to be in proximity with people who don't believe the same as us, 
who don't look the same as us, who have different cultures, different backgrounds, different beliefs, not being of the world, but, but in the world and, and a presence in the world. And, uh, and, and there's lots of ways to do that. It's not just, it's not just having people in your home, but that's a good one. And so we've been yeah. blessed to have the opportunities that we've had. Well, I think it's a really important one. And I think it's one that, um, it's an area where most people, I mean, even most people listen to this, they hear you guys say that you took in a family of five and most people who hear that, they're not going to, they will probably not feel a call towards that. Mm-hmm. And I think the, I think the question there on some level is, yeah, I do believe some people aren't, I do believe some people aren't supposed to do that kind of work, right? I don't think everybody's supposed to do safe families, uh, bring people to their home, do foster care, whatever, adopt any, you know. Um, but I, be, I do believe more people, um, it should be a, a better representation in the body of Christ than it is. And it is really easy to rule it out. It's a really easy thing to explain away. Mm-hmm. And one thing I appreciate about you guys is that you haven't done that. There's not, it's not, you're not just worse at, you're not just worse at arguing than everybody else. It's not that you couldn't think of reasons why seven kids was, was already more than you could handle or whatever. It's, you know, I want, I want our church thinking about this in the sense that there is a call to hospitality in the Bible. There is a call to, to caring for the orphan and the widow in distress, the least of these. And I want, I want our church to be a church that's, that's challenged by that. Not simply to say, I don't feel called to that you know, without, without really, again, kind of going back to what we're talking about, without really thinking deeply about it and allowing themselves to be challenged by it. Um, and John, you don't, I mean, that might sound extreme, the family of five or whatever. Sure. But it's, it's actually just like your kitchen table. Like you don't have to have somebody move in your spare bedroom. Like, right. Are you willing to have people, are you willing to spend time with people who don't look, act, think like you? Mm-hmm. And that, that can happen over a meal at your table. That can happen over a lot of ways. And I think it's starting there. Like, are, are you even open to the fact that, that you can do this and you, you don't have to let people sleep over? Although sure. it's easier to get to know one another quickly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, no, together. I was, and I was, I think that when you start to say, hey, I see this need, I can meet this. And Nicole does this more than I, but then the next step is, do you want to live at our house? So, right. (laughs) And then you just do it and it's, and then it's, maybe it's not all aspects of it are easy, but it's just like, it's not as bad as we thought it would be. And actually we kind of like it. And sometimes we'll have somebody stay for a while and they're leaving. We'll be like, all right, we're not doing that for a long time. But then God Put right. somebody in our path, and we're like, "Well, we did it before, and it was fine." And so, yeah. and so, may, maybe there's some small steps that that need to happen. But I think those small steps have to, like, they're not really going to happen if we don't create those opportunities. And everybody's different. I don't know what those opportunities are for you, but opportunities to be around people who are different from us, people who have needs maybe that we've never experienced before. And rather than starting with all of the the judgments and all of that, just say what is it that I can, that I can give to you? And in, in many cases, that's maybe just relationship. It's not even, there's a lot of lonely people in our world. A lot of people who are avoid of meaningful relationships. And so, um, creating space, right. We're so, we're so busy nowadays. And so creating space, creating opportunities and, 
uh, and then trusting in God um, and, and recognizing our own inadequacies, continual repentance, coming back to God and saying, help me to do this. I'm sorry that I, I failed. I fell short of, of what you want in me again. And, and I think that you're right, that I think not everybody is called, but I think more people maybe more people. than recognize they are, are called and can actually do this. Yeah. I, I'm thinking about John chapter 10. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and he's kind of going back and forth with them about the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And I think the Pharisees are a good cautionary tale for churches like ours today in the sense that they tended to be judgmental. They did not tend to spend a lot of time in close proximity with what Jesus would call the least of these. And when the Messiah was staring them in the face, they missed it. And in their failure to recognize God's will right in front of them, embodied in Jesus, they missed out on the abundant life, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, what I would want to challenge people from my church is that there might be abundant life for you that on, on the surface or on paper looks like not a lot of fun, looks like a big challenge. Um, but if God is calling you to it, if his Holy Spirit is working in that situation— there is going to be fruit from that in your life that is going to be something that you look back and, and you can, you'll be able to point to and say, I'm glad I did this. You know, we, we say at church all the time, we talk about abundant life being, again, like I talked about before, not ju- Jesus was not just talking about heaven. He was talking about how we live our lives. And so, um, so yeah, can we trust? Can we trust that when Jesus says to follow him and there's rest for your weary soul, there's abundant life to be found in me, do we actually believe do we actually believe those words and are we willing to take those steps mm. and say yes? And so, yeah, I think, I think we'll, we'll end with that unless anybody, either of you guys wants to say anything else. I really appreciate you guys coming and, and, and sharing your story. Thank you for all, all the work you guys do. And, uh, and yeah, thanks everyone for listening. Hope you have a wonderful day.